Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. on the wind carrying a tune from a far-off country. When the air pressure changes and we say, it smells like rain, and the clouds start to churn, and soon the drought will be over. That's what hope is like. It's that persistent tug in your soul that whispers, everything said is coming untrue. Just around the corner, there's something good. It takes courage to believe that. You have to hold tight to it like a blanket around your shoulders so the gusts will tear it right out of your hands. Hope will glow like embers, but you have to keep giving it oxygen. That's the thing about hope. You have to wake up and choose it every day. The best part is, with the one true hope, you don't have to wonder if it's a waste of time and emotional energy. It doesn't work like that. Hope is not angel feathers or wishing on a shooting star or tossing coins into a fountain. It's not lucky charms or even bright-eyed optimism. It's not a blind shout in the void. The one true hope is a guarantee. A promise made by someone who can't lie. Hope was in the beginning, is now, and evermore shall be. It's eternal, not fleeting. Hope came down from heaven in the form of a baby, entering time and space. God and man united in the person of Jesus. When we choose hope, we're not planting a new stake in the ground. We're slipping into a rushing river current that has run through the ages and will carry us with all the saints who've come before to a shining city where there will be no need for hope. Because all the promises of at last come true. This Christmas, through Jesus, we have hope. Amen. This Christmas, through Jesus, we have hope. I want you to say that with me, will you please? This Christmas, through Jesus, we have hope. Okay, that's your homework. You didn't know you were, I'm getting the homework out of the way at the beginning. Your homework this week is to try to remember every day. Write it down on your, on your uh, worship folder there. Try to say every day this phrase, this Christmas, through Jesus, we have hope. I don't know if you caught it, but at the very end of that video, what it really was alluding to was the fact that we are in a story. 
They said, hope is not like planting a new stake in the ground. Hope is rather like slipping into a rushing river that has been flowing from the beginning of time and is culminating into a great appearing, really, of Jesus himself. That's why it is so important for us to be here today. It's so important for us to remember that we are part of a bigger story. We are in a story far bigger than ourselves. And in fact, this entire story that the Word of God paints from Genesis to Revelation is ultimately the gospel. And the gospel is the story that tells and describes how at the beginning of time there was perfection. God created a perfect world, a beautiful world, paradise, and yet we don't get three chapters into Scripture before things go all wrong. (laughs) The wheels come off, Adam and Eve sin, and the world falls away from God. Becomes a broken world. And for thousands of years, the earth waited and groaned for the coming of a Redeemer, a Messiah, a Deliverer, someone that would set everything right. And He came. Jesus Christ came into this world, putting on skin, putting on flesh and blood, becoming one of us. Why? So that He could bear our sin upon Himself. But it didn't end there. That's not the end of the story at all. Jesus then, as we read in Scripture and as we know and believe, ascended visibly, carried up into the heavens where He is right now, ruling over the whole earth. And then He gave this job description. He said, I want you to now go into all the world. He birthed something that we are still part of, and that's called the church. The bride of Christ. And he said, bride, I've got a job for you before I come back. I want you to go and tell the whole world who I am. That everyone is part of a bigger story. That even though we live in a broken world, filled with brokenness and darkness, that Jesus said, I'm coming back. I am the groom. And one day, there will be a wedding feast. You know, this morning... We lit this uh, candle, the Advent candle. And I, as I think about the Advent wreath, mo- many of you celebrated this as a child in your church. And uh, we do it here at King Street. But as we think about the Advent candle, and as I even laid out for you the story of time, I, I think that so often when we think of, of the span of time, the story from beginning to end, we tend in churches to put the Advent candle over here. And what I mean by that is behind us, if you will. Back in time. That we spend a lot of time thinking about what has already happened. And we honor the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ, the the Christmas story. And and we tend to put the Advent candle, kind of if you will, behind us. But that's not where I believe the Advent candle really belongs. This morning we lit the candle of what? What's this candle represent? Hope. 
And I want to suggest that as we live in these days, after the coming of Christ, in this day, in this time of the church, if you will, that has been commissioned to tell the world this greater story, we look forward with expectation to the coming of Jesus Christ. That we are now viewing ourselves as very much part of the story, looking forward to the light of Christ, that one day, Jesus Himself may be soon. Where are we in this story? I don't know, but I'm going to tell you right now, I think we may well be right up against the return of Christ. The coming of Jesus. This Christmas, through Jesus, we have hope. We look forward to the coming of of Christ, the Advent. That's what Advent literally means. And I love this phrase that we saw in the video. Hope, that persistent tug in your soul that whispers, everything sad is coming untrue. Just around the corner, there's something good. That's what hope is. That's why we need to be here today. Because you and I are living in a broken world. We still live in a land of darkness. A land of trouble and distress and trials. That's part of the story. But Jesus is coming back. You know, one of my favorite jobs as a pastor is the fact that I get to take this position right here. All right, I want you to look at that picture for a second. You know what that, you know what that position is? I actually had, I've had this position, this perspective. You're like looking through my eyes these last two Saturdays. I've had the opportunity yesterday and eight days ago to, to conduct two weddings. And I, as the pastor, get to stand right here in the middle. And guess who stands right here to my left as the ceremony begins? Come on, the groom. That's the groom right there. And he's standing right there to my left. And together we are able to look down the aisle. And as we look down that aisle, do you know what we're waiting for at the beginning of that wedding? We're waiting for the doors to open and for the bride to appear. And I get goosebumps every time that happens because I'm going to tell you right now, I get the best seat in the house. As the groom is waiting for the bride. And I think about that just around the corner. What? There's something good. Just around the corner as that door flies open. In fact, Saturday before last, I had the opportunity, I wasn't here last Sunday because uh, the first of my six children got married. He's actually my second child, but Jesse got married at a park down in Greenville, South Carolina, and there I am uh, with Carissa, the bride, and her dad, Kevin, and my son, Jesse, and everyone there, family, uh, waiting for this great event. I got to put up a family picture, there you go, Okay. The obligatory, put up the, Jesse and Carissa. But in their wedding, they had a flower girl. Now, what is the flower girl's job? Flower girl's job is to drop petals, right? She comes down. This is Audrey, and 
She did a great job. She was really nervous at the rehearsal. I'll tell you that. She was really nervous. Like, really nervous. Okay. I won't go into detail. But, um, okay. So, <laughs> because she knew she had such a big job. And her job was to come right before the bride, right? And, and what's Audrey's job? What's the flower girl's job? It's to prepare the way for the bride to come. I've got to tell you, as I watched this happen, and as I thought about what Audrey's doing, folks, this isn't just ceremony. This isn't just going through the motions. Do you know what this is? This is a picture of the bigger story, isn't it? Do you see it? First of all, it points back to Palm Sunday, where the palm branches were laid out in preparation for the king to come into Jerusalem. But we are called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Think about the gospel described in Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger. Who was the messenger that was given the job to come and prepare the way for Jesus. That would be John the Baptist. So in many ways, Audrey's job, no wonder she was so nervous, was that of John the Baptist. I know I'm getting big on you, but this is real. We're in the story. Because the messenger was, was sent to prepare the way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And, and this references Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Let me, let me remind you of the gospel. Because the gospel begins with a beautiful creation, but then in chapter 3 of Genesis, what? A broken world. Fallen. Distress. Anguish. Though there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the future, He will honor the land of Galilee. This is pointing us right to where Jesus was raised. And by the way, this was written 700 years before Jesus came. 700 years. It's a big story. He will honor Galilee the, of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. For the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Let me remind you what we do today. We light the Advent candle. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This, of course, points to the first coming of Jesus. But a phrase that I want us to see, living in the land of deep darkness. Darkness. I'm going to ask you right now, can anyone relate to this? Living in a broken world, a fallen world. This is the gospel. That Jesus comes into a, a land of deep darkness. Turn with me please, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. 
Because what we see in Luke 1 is the coming of John the Baptist to prepare the way for the Lord, for His first coming. Let's look at uh, verse 5 together. In the time of King Herod, or of Herod, uh, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. All right. I want to take these three verses and think of them really through the lens. I'm going to break this this passage, these 20-some verses, down into three basic sections. And the first is simply to call it the setting. The setting. What's the setting? Well, we see a couple of things going on here. We see this man and, and his wife, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest who performed these priestly duties at the temple in Jerusalem. And we see that uh, Zechariah lived, what do we we see there in verse 5? In the time of of King Herod. Now, very easy to read over that. But you know what? There is a lot that that phrase says. It describes the, the political, the geopolitical setting of the day. And I'm going to tell you right now, these were not good days. These were not good days at all. In fact, Herod, who oversaw, see, the the Roman Empire ruled the whole world at the time of Christ, at the birth of Christ. Caesar was being hailed as the God of the world. And he ruled, Caesar ruled with an iron fist. And they put into charge this man named Herod the Great. By the way, don't confuse Herod the Great with his son, Herod Antipas. Because there are two Herods. When you read the beginning of the Gospels of Jesus, when Jesus was born, it was Herod the Great. His son, Herod Antipas, was on the throne when Jesus was crucified. And it was Herod Antipas that had John the Baptist killed, beheaded. But this is Herod the Great. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Herod was born in the year 74 B.C. The second son of Antipater, the Edomite, a descendant of Esau. So, birth of Christ is when? Zero, okay? (laughs) Give or take. And uh, he was in his 70s then at the time of the birth of Christ. He became governor or tetrarch over Galilee at age 25. Herod's army eventually captured Jerusalem and he declared himself king of the Jews, although his actual rule uh, was 34 years from Jerusalem. Okay, here's what I want you to hear. This is what was going on. Due to continual palace rumors, and by the way, this is history. I'm not making this stuff up. This, This is documented in world history. Due to continual palace rumors and paranoia over his potential overthrow, Herod gave the order for his wife Miriam and several of his sons to be assassinated. Okay, let that sink in. 
And it's declared in history that he loved his wife. This was his beloved wife. Oh, really? Okay. Hmm. So, because of palace rumors that there was an overthrow that was brewing, he had his wife killed because the rumor was she was somehow connected to this plot. As well as his sons, he had them killed. When a group of wise men, newly arrived in Jerusalem from the east, told Herod that a king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem, what did he do? He ordered the massacre of all babies, two years, young boys, two years and under, living in Bethlehem. For years, Herod suffered acute kidney failure, complicated by either scabies or gangrene which slowly destroyed his body and eventually drove him even more insane than he already was. His several attempts at suicide were only thwarted by those of his inner circle. Get this, because Herod knew that the entire country would rejoice at his death. He ordered that every Jewish priest be slaughtered upon the news of his death so the country would be forced into mourning. We we look at the setting of when Jesus came into this world. And what is the setting? In the time of King Herod. It was a time of darkness. Terrible. And not only that, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were childless and they were in their old age. And we can see down in verse 25, uh, 25, I won't get to it yet, but Elizabeth was dealing with a sense of shame. A deep sense of disgrace. So that's the setting. It's the darkness that not only existed in the world, but in the hearts of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Next we see the announcement. Let's look together at verse 8. Once when Zechariah, his division, was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, a little background there. At the time of Zechariah, there were probably about 8,000 priests. This was a, was a lot of them. And on occasion, in fact, literally just a handful of times, would a priest in his entire lifetime be given the opportunity, drawn by random dice throw or lot, choosing of lot, to be able to go in and burn incense. It was a big deal. All dressed up, these priestly garments, so he gets this opportunity. When the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. I love that detail, that as this is happening, you've got others from the priestly realm that were out praying for him. Then an angel of the Lord, what, wait, what? Appeared to him. So think about this from Zechariah's standpoint. Here he is in the temple, going through his job, lighting the incense, lighting the candle, doing this, doing that. All he's thinking about is don't trip, don't fall, don't mess up. This is an important job. I only get to do this four or five times in my entire life. So that's where his brain is at. The last thing he's thinking of is the upper story, right? All he's thinking about is the lower story, what he has to do. And yet the upper story breaks in to this experience. An angel is there standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. I can imagine. And then the angel says to him what every angel says when we meet them. What what does every angel say? Don't be afraid. (laughs) 
Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Your prayer, your prayer has been heard. What do we know about Zechariah and Elizabeth? That they were childless. His prayer has been heard. I don't even know how long they had been praying this. You've got to imagine for 50 years. I even wonder if Zechariah had given up praying for this, to have a baby. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit of Elijah. And he will turn people back to the Lord. And what is his job? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's the announcement. The announcement is you are going to have a child. They will, she will bear you a son and you are to call him John. What is his response? I, I, I love Zechariah. I really do. In fact, this reinforces to me that the Bible is absolutely true because it's filled with people just like you and me. Put yourself in his shoes. You're now well up in years, well past the age of childbearing. You're there going about your job in the temple. You see this angel. This angel tells you you're going to have a baby. And what does he say? He says, really? Really? It's basically what he says. He says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And I love what happens next. This is when Gabriel, like, he gets real big. I can almost imagine him like expanding. And he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. You know, I can hear Zachariah like, okay, I get it. All right. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true. Meanwhile, the people waiting for Zechariah, wondering why he's taking so long. When he finally comes out, he couldn't speak. They realized that he had seen a vision, for he kept making signs to them. This is total charades. I love this. You know, you know I don't know. He, he got the message across. I saw this vision. Gabriel, talk to me. He kept making signs but remained unable to speak. And when his time for service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, and here this gets to her heart, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. For all of these years, Elizabeth has lived with this sense of shame and disgrace. So here we are, Advent 2017. Yes, we look back to the birth of Christ, but in my heart, that's not where we put the Advent wreath. Yes, we're lighting the candle and we remember what Jesus has done, but what we really do, church, is we look forward. We look forward to the return of Christ. That he is coming back again. 
The people, this is us now, we're in the story, walking in darkness, we will see a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light will dawn. So as as we look and think about Advent today, we think about Jesus coming back. You know the very last words in Scripture? Here they are. This is the last, several, next to last paragraph of the Bible. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and the morning star, the spirit and the bride. That's us. We're the bride, church. And what do we, along with the Spirit, say today? Come. Come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life say, come. You know what? Advent isn't just about the past, and it's not just about the future. It is about today. And the message for us today is that the Holy Spirit of God, you know what the promise is? All of this, Jesus said, I have spoken while with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things, remind you of everything I'm saying to you. Peace I leave with you today. My peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Church, you know what hope is? Hope is that persistent tug in your soul that whispers, everything sad is coming untrue. Just around the corner, (laughs) there's something good. Heavenly Father, we bow right now before you. We thank you today in this season of Advent. Advent with that literally means the coming of Christ. Yes, Lord, we look back and we thank you for taking our sins upon yourself, for coming into this world. But Jesus, we also thank you that you're coming again. That we can look forward today to your soon return. And that we have your Spirit living in us, with us. Lord, my prayer as I think about this message today of hope is that we are still a people living in a land of deep darkness. Lord, there are many that can hear right now the sound of my voice. And Lord, they can completely understand that there is darkness in their own heart, that there is a loss of hope And Lord Jesus, we need to be reminded desperately of the gospel. The fact that we are in a story far bigger than ourselves. That Jesus, not only have you come, but you're coming again. This is what gives us hope. This Christmas, through Jesus, we have hope. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. 
Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.